0: what it means for America to be a Christian nation. I'm going to do it from a unique perspective. The book of Revelation, chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Revelation 13, verse 11. I can hear those pages turning, friends. Then I saw another beast rising up out of the earth, having two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. And it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Well, Seventh-day Adventists perhaps are unique in understanding in the context of the apocalyptic prophecy that this is a reference to the United States. But I think many Christians will agree that there are aspects of American government and American history that do reflect our exercise of power consistently with the spirit of Jesus, that there are things about our country that are Christian. And the prophecy uniquely describes this nation as having two horns like a lamb, and in Scripture, horns are a symbol of power. And the imagery or the symbolism of two horns like a lamp means that in the United States, power is divided. We talk about the separation of powers in our Constitution. We have the president, the executive branch, the Congress, the legislative branch. So we have the courts and the Supreme Court. We also have a division of power between the federal and state governments and between state and local government, and each has their proper fear, and one can't tread upon the other. Separating power prevents tyranny. It prevents fascism. It it restricts the ability to abuse power. But there's another way that the United States separates power. Uh, We have in our First Amendment a prohibition on uh, establishing religion and protecting the free exercise of religion. We separate civil and religious authority. The state and various elements of government have no right under our Constitution to exercise religious authority. They only exercise civil authority. Uh, They have no authority to compel worship or to enforce religious laws and religious beliefs. The prophecy also speaks of the United States speaking like a dragon. And the symbolism of both the lamb and the dragon applying to a single nation is actually quite an interesting picture. And the verb tense, uh, I don't want to lose you here by talking Greek, but the verb tense describes action that began in the past is continuous action, and it continues past the present into the future. Now, the dragon, of course, in the Bible is a symbol of the devil, of Satan himself. And what you have here is a picture of this cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan played out for the soul and character of the United States, something I think many of us can relate to. Um, Is it true that the United States has, from the beginning, embraced both the spirit of Christ and the spirit of the dragon in different ways. I tried to emphasize the positive at first in ways, you know, that our our Constitution, our government respects civil and religious freedom. We have the Bill of Rights, and we have these wonderful principles like Thomas Jefferson announced in the Declaration of Independence that every everyone has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as inalienable God given rights, that we are all free and equal. Well, yes, in principle, but of course that hasn't been our practice. And if there is uh what's been called America's original sin, it's racism. And and the racism, I have to say, always been theologically connected, which is tragic. You know, the um the first settlers here uh, Puritans and pilgrims in colonial New England and others in Virginia. They were largely influenced by Protestant Calvinist theology, and, and they believed that they were elect, they were chosen by God, that God chose them to raise up a Christian nation here. And what were their attitudes towards the natives who were here? That they were heathen, that they were not to be saved, they were to uh, they were created for the fires of hell. Um, that was too common among the attitudes. And then, of course, with slave trade, an entire economy was built on the backs of inequality, of slavery, of treating, uh, of theologically justifying this economic system with a theology that said that blacks were somehow inferior, they were subhuman and was really a theology of white supremacy. Of course, we haven't treated any generation of immigrants particularly well, have we? Uh, You know, you tell me, I'm in the West Coast, Uh, we've had Chinese immigrants, we've had Japanese immigrants, you know, in World War II, we didn't intern uh, Germans, we didn't send Germans to intern camps, we sent Japanese. Uh, But... Early Catholic immigrants from Ireland, from Italy, from Poland, they weren't treated well either. We came up with all kinds of derogatory terms for various generations of, of immigrants. And so today, uh, you know, Muslims and Mormons are on the popular receiving end of, of criticism, of fear and suspicion and of compromising the values expressed in the poetry that is associated with Lady Liberty, with our statue, and giving, you know, give us your tired and your poor weary from all lands. Well, that's no longer what many of us aspire to. I would suggest that what we're seeing is the tension that has always played out in American life, the tension between the lamb and the dragon, between our tremendous ideals of equality, of freedom, of justice, of the rule of law, on the one hand, and on the other hand, a spirit that's very exclusive. Now, I want to connect this back to the prophecy. We've all heard about the mark of the beast And there's a lot of different views and understandings about them. I'm not going to try to get into all of that now, but I want to look at a basic premise here, basic principle, because in this passage, you have a religious group that is in power. They're the ones who are on top, they're enforcing the rules. They are enforcing worship of the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And those who don't go along with it, they get the sanctions. They can't buy or sell, uh and it says they're ultimately they're to be killed. So you have a group in dominant power that is excluding those who don't worship the way they do that don't go along with their religious beliefs, their religious practices, etc. We can argue all day long about, you know, who this is and what it's going to look like, but I think we need to pay attention to a warning that Jesus gave us. Jesus' apocalyptic sermon that many have connected to Revelation was found in Matthew 24. And Jesus spoke of the last days in answer to the question about when will these things be, what will be the sign of the, your coming, the end of the age. And, of course, Jesus began by saying, many will come in my name and deceive many. Jesus did not warn us about other religions, about Islam, about Hinduism or Taoism or Buddhism or Judaism or, you know, the New Age movement or the gurus from India. Jesus warned us about false religion in his own name. And I suggest to you that the same great controversy we've been talking about, this conflict between Christ and the devil that we see in American life, we also see in the life of the church. The devil has always either attacked the church through persecution or through infiltration and trying to uh, sow discord and sow his principles either by attacking the church from the outside or from within. This is really nothing new or uh, particularly insightful. This is kind of basic, isn't it? So the warning for us is we need to aspire and uphold the best principles of America, the, the, the Lamb-like principles, the Christ-like principles of extending freedom and justice to all. That's consistent with the spirit of the Lamb. The spirit of the dragon is the spirit of exclusion, of we're right, we know God's way, and if you're not on our side, we're going to get you. That's the spirit of the dragon. I think it behooves us then to uh, fight against things like uh, racism in our country, uh, hostility to immigrants, and, and the kinds of attitudes that really reflect the spirit of the dragon, if we want to represent the spirit of Christ. Now, the risk in doing that, of course, is that eventually those of us who are committed to the spirit of Christ are going to be on the receiving end of the sanctions and the penalties by those who uh, have corrupted religion and enforce uh, allegiance to the beast and receipt of the Mark of the Beast. Whether that time comes in our lifetime or not, I certainly don't have a crystal ball. Uh, my clients wish I did. Uh, when they hire me as a lawyer, they want to know what's going to happen. Are they going to win their case? And uh, I have to tell them, well, they didn't give me a crystal ball when I graduated law school. Sorry. Uh, you know, we call it the way we see it. I think our work for religious freedom, and we want to encourage you to be partners with us in that work, is the Spirit of Christ. It is upholding the best of American traditions, shining the light of the Gospel and of Christ's commitment to freedom for all the world to see. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. That's what the Bible says. Uh, If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen to that. So where and how do you work with us? Our website, churchstate.org. Uh, check it out. Check me out on Facebook, Alan Reinach. Uh I'm actively posting on Facebook. Glad to have two more friends. If you want to befriend me, let me know that you're a listener to Freedom's Ring. That would make my day. That would be such a blessing. Well, We're out of time. This has been Freedom's Ring. As we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, online at churchstate.org. Freedom's Ring is also available on SoundCloud. Check out our Freedom's Ring SoundCloud radio station. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinhart. Until next week, let freedom ring.